0: Welcome to our discussion on the Sabbath School lesson. We are going to be looking at um, the Sabbath School lesson dealing with by scripture alone. This is lesson chapter five. And uh, we'll be discussing uh, ideas that are brought up in the lesson as well as uh, other ideas that we think uh, are uh, interesting to discuss around uh, this topic of scripture and authority. And um, we'll just uh, take it from here. So for Sabbaths, uh, lesson the memory text that is mentioned is for the word of god is living and powerful sharper than any 2 word sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart so i guess um and then the it goes into a little bit of a history uh the christian history uh, regarding uh scripture and its authority so in the previous lessons, uh, we've discussed the history of scripture, how it was written over 1,500 years, and by various uh, uh, writers that have come from all walks of life that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so looking at this lesson now, we're discussing specifically um, how do we, um, what sources of authority do we use in determining the meaning of scripture? and um, or is scripture sufficient in and of itself to determine its own meaning? So uh, I guess a good uh, point for jumping off at our discussion would be kind of a, a little bit of a review of history. So maybe we could just go through that.
1: Okay, so um, the lesson begins with the Protestant Reformation. So it brings up, uh, for the Reformers, it was something of a model, something of a slogan that they used uh, a unifying theme, this idea of sola scriptura, with scripture alone, um, as opposed to what they had been brought up with, which was the authority of the church. The church was the center, the, the foundation of theology, foundation of belief, the, the center of authority. <clears throat> and uh, the reformers left that behind and switched over and said, no, the, the center of authority has to be the scripture. And um, from that point, we have five hundred years now of people trying to continue on to a greater or lesser degree within that tradition, or sometimes reacting against it, sometimes trying to come back to it. But uh, it's been sort of a um, an anchor point for the rest of Christian history since that since that time.
0: Yeah. So. Um, the impact of of uh, uh, scripture's interpretation is uh, really clear through history. If you look at um, the history of of how Christianity progressed after the apostles left the scene, and uh, if you look at the first three hundred years and then uh, the next uh, thousand years, pretty much, um, if you look at those uh, that period, you can see how uh, different ideas were developed and presented and accepted. By um, what became the Catholic Church, and soon the Catholic Church became the default church all over the world, and at least at least in Europe, and um, and without the mentioning the splits and all this stuff. But let's just in in general let's just talk about that. So, like you said, people grew up with the idea that the Scripture is God's word, but the Church reserves the authority to develop what its meaning is. And so, all you had to do was read what the church fathers had written, or what the church doctors had written, and you would come to uh, a correct understanding of what the church, what the Bible was saying. And so, we're looking at this today, and we're looking at the the various uh, ideas of levels of authority. So, in Sunday, we talk about uh, scripture as a ruling norm. And here we just jump right into the Adventist church and its ideas of of scripture. So I guess I would like to personally go back a little bit in Adventist history and just discuss the history of of Adventist interpretation. So the Adventist church started out not being the Adventist church. It was uh, the Millerite movement. William Miller decided that he needed to understand what the Bible was saying uh, for himself and he decided to lay aside as much as possible his uh, presuppositions regarding what the Bible was and what, who God was. And he decided to just read the Bible and figure out what it was saying regarding God and what it was saying about the world. And as he read it, he discovered, um, uh, he discovered prophecies and he discovered um, a way to measure time within, within scripture. And he realized that according to scripture, there was a major event that was coming somewhere around 1843, 1844. And so he continued reading. And when he was fully convinced that Jesus was coming soon and, it was, and he was coming in his day, he decided to start talking about it and uh, preaching about it. And then it just became a, a phenomenon that, that dominated the news right up till uh, the great disappointment. Now, after that period, the, the Millerite groups broke up into, you know, m- many left, but a few were were remaining. And within that, that nexus of people, uh, a few of them decided to go back to scripture and study out again the meaning of of what they uh, experienced and also to figure out what was going on with, uh, uh, what exactly, Christ- uh, why they went wrong. And so as they did that, they, they learned that, the sanctuary is a, a hermeneutic um, or a key for interpretation, and within that they found all these different truths, such as the Sabbath, the second coming, uh, the state of the dead, and other, and other aspects of it, and other other beliefs and as they collected those beliefs, they realized that it was actually a belief system, and they began to reason systematically regarding not only what the Bible was saying regarding uh, the its worldview, but also that it had a message for the world, which is the three angels' messages. So they realized that they had a worldwide mission now and they needed to organize in order to uh, accomplish the goal of that mission, which is to spread the the messages of the three angels. And as they got together and they organized, they organized into the Seventh-day Adventist church, which happens to be on my birthday, which is May 21, 1863, obviously, I was born many years later, but uh, at least the, the same day, we, we sh- I shared the same day with the St. Adventist Church. So uh, so after the, the, the Adventist Church started, then the debates uh, kind of shifted uh, towards um, other things, but it still remained that the Adventists held scripture as primary and and they developed their ideas from scripture so that was how we started out and i don't know if you want to go into further history uh regarding interpretation now or later but uh at least uh, that is something that is um that is important to discuss
1: yeah so so the question i mean there, there's several questions here and uh <clears throat> you know we're, we're kind of plugged into different networks within the church different groups of people uh, sometimes fairly knowledgeable people in the church, whether it's theologians, pastors, and so on. And um, we hear, or we, we see people having different discussions and commentaries on the Sabbath school, and there's different opinions that come up. So, for example, the question is, uh, are Adventists really doing so much scriptural theology? And some people, uh, you know, depends depending on where you're looking at, like, for example, the evangelicals, Evangelicals don't think Adventists do solo scriptural theology because we have Ellen White. And they think that because we have all these distinct beliefs that to them don't make much sense. And they think the reason we have those beliefs is because we get them from Ellen White. And there's even former Adventists or even Adventists within the church that, you know, belong more to the evangelical side of the spectrum that agree with them. You know, we don't, Adventists don't really do solo scriptural theology. Um, Other people, uh, would say, well, no. The issue is that it's not just that that we don't do solo scriptura theology, but that uh, there, you know, scriptura is not really doesn't actually mean what what people think it means. I mean, the the real meaning of solo scriptura is more like prima scriptura, and and then there's this other thing called, called solo scriptura, which is what the fundamentalists use, which is, is something else. Uh, and then there's another group of people that say, you know what? Why do we even bother with sola scriptura? Because that whole thing has been deprecated. It's 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 passed on. You know, like we're living in the 21st century, and we need to move move beyond. You know, the, this sort of basic. Um, I don't know what you would say, like a, a belief system based only on the Bible, because humanity has progressed, and uh, we need to we need to look to other sources of authority as well, and find a way to kind of harmonize the different things with the scripture. Uh, but we can't just go based on the scripture alone so there's all these different sides and all these different opinions and there's there's debates on it and the question is where do we fit in as Adventists and are we is the position we take as Adventists a a sound position
0: yeah so yeah so within that framework um, when we're discussing so for example there's the multiple or multiplex sources Uh, approach. This is where the Bible is one of many equal sources. So science could be one personal experience, reason, whatever. Um, all of these could be within that multiplex source, um, culture as well. There's, uh, the quadrilateral that uh, John Wesley came up with, which was, uh, tradition, um, personal experience, reason, and scripture at the top. So there's, uh, there's this, uh, this idea that uh, um, scripture is the, the, the highest authority, and then there's other uh, lower authority, so to speak, mm-hmm. or lower sources. Um, and then there's uh, the idea, like you said, which is solo scripture, which is essentially um, we ignore everything, and we just live our lives according to scripture, some some kind of like uh, uh, isolationist reading of scripture. And uh, so these debates are um, are some of them are occurring within our church as well, not just outside of it. Yeah. And it's important to recognize that uh, there's lots of people on all sides of this issue that are uh, debating this, and members. Um, intrinsically uh, accept these things without even thinking sometimes um, about about the choices that are being made, and the reason is because they grow up in in the in their homes and they go to school and then they attend churches in a certain geographical area, and it it forms the the bedrock of their experience. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit about how theology is
1: formed. Yeah, so. Um... I was going to talk about this in the context of uh, history and how it, how it kind of developed even at the beginning, but uh, even for us, um, it doesn't take much for us to to take a little bit of time and just think about how we got our beliefs. Like, for example, if I thought back on my life, I would say, well, I was born in the church. I I was, you know, going to Sabbath school from, from the time I was a baby and my earliest memories are in the church. And then there was several school teachers that were teaching us stuff. And then there was my parents and my grandma and so on. So I, I have this sort of, um, you could call it tradition that I grew up into. And the trustworthiness of that tradition is highly dependent on whether my parents and my grandparents and my several school teachers actually knew what they were talking about. If they got the right information, they passed the right information on to me. Uh, other people come into the church because they listen to an evangelistic series or they they get a Bible study from somebody. Um, a lot depends on whether that person or that information wherever they got it from, if it was properly presented if it was correct. so at some point in our lives, we have to come to a place where we say, "Okay, what do I believe? Why do I believe it? Is it the right thing to believe? Do I have uh, so, some reasons for believing this? What am I my bases, my my sources of authority like you were saying, um, and so on, and, and kind of work through this whole process. Yeah. So yeah, so it's it's
0: good to like go back and think about how we, we grew up and how we formed our beliefs. But it's also important to realize that we're constantly forming or uh settling into our beliefs right now as as we as we live our lives. So uh, going on with our lesson here. Hey, um, before before yeah. I move on,
1: I should mention this as well. Like one, one other thing that people don't often think about is the fact that, um, you know, in, in, in the sciences, they have this term called cognitive bias. Um, there's a tendency to, or confirmation bias, you know, a tendency to want your own opinions to be confirmed by the evidence. And... Um, one of the things with theology with our beliefs our religion is that these are not things that are detached from our reality like you know if if i was doing something that had to do with uh, my opinion of you know the stock market or whatever that to me is not it's not essential to my existence Uh, i could change you know if i have if somebody presented some evidence to me i could say okay i was wrong about this perspective uh, I should change to this perspective because the evidence uh, seems to point that way. But our religion is actually the context in which we exist. You know, I mean, if just imagine what life is like for somebody that that grew up Hindu and lives their whole life within that perspective, and somebody that grew up Muslim and lives their whole life experience within that, or an atheist. We exist within our philosophical, theological, religious framework, our worldview, and it's very disruptive if for whatever reason we start to doubt that the things we believe are correct so there's a natural tendency to resist change to resist the evidence if there's evidence that might be coming at us pointing us in a different direction so there's there's there needs to be a sort of discipline that we we learn to develop with time where we sort of detach ourselves from our reality and just look at the facts and look at the evidence and then find ways to correct ourselves if we need to because otherwise we would be stuck in whatever situation we grew up in or we happen to be in just randomly or by chance you know yeah so
0: thinking about um the tools that we use um to interpret scripture whether it's lectionaries or dictionaries or commentaries or um any other uh, religious religious writings that we may uh, rely on for for ideas uh, regarding the interpretation of scripture, regardless of all those those sources, scripture should be primary. Yeah. Uh, scripture should be uh, basically the tester for all of those things. Um, now, here's the, here's the thing. This is this is where um, I read this quote somewhere, and I I wish I could say it perfectly the way it was written, but essentially. Scripture is infallible. Scripture alone is infallible. And we are not infallible. So our interpretations, um, whatever we gather and we put together are in are in fact not infallible. So for that reason, we have to be tentative when we approach scripture. Yeah. So that does not mean that we cannot believe what you know what we what we believe to be true or what we believe the scripture is saying. We cannot hold those beliefs however um, we should be we should be tentative uh, just in case uh, scripture does uh, show us something different yeah. uh, or contradicts what mm-hmm. we have formed prematurely and so we, we, we will look at some of this stuff as we as we go through this lesson uh, later on in the week but the value of seeing a truth being developed from beginning till the end of scripture and seeing all of the all of scripture have its bearing it's proper bearing on, on that particular idea so that we can see its, um, its introduction and then we can see its development and then we can see its, its full idea or expression, which usually is in Jesus or in the, the apostles' writings or its fulfillment from the Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, so the Old Testament lays it down and then the New Testament fulfills, shows its fulfillment. So in all these things, our ideas that we draw from scripture have to be by nature uh, tentative. However, we still hold that uh, Scripture alone, as as Martin Luther said, is the Lord and Master of all writings and doctrine on it. And so that's what we uh, that we that's what we believe regarding the primacy of Scripture. So talking about the unity of Scripture, I kind of mentioned this already, but we believe that all Scripture is God breathed. This is what Scripture says. So basically, uh, the human mind was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So there's revelation, which is the Holy Spirit revealing something to the writer. And then there's inspiration, which is the writer then encapsulating that in words and writing it down. We believe that there's a sufficiency or self-sufficiency of God to be able to make sure that the meaning that he intends is passed down through the writer. And there are examples in, in the Bible where uh, a prophet has has made a mistake regarding what god intended and god has corrected the message so that the correct message is developed or has been present is presented so the idea is is that god is not only able to give human beings a revelation of himself but he's also able to make sure that the intended meaning passes through uh correctly so that anyone that that uh, reads the scripture can can absorb it uh correctly now, there's all sorts of problems with the with the absorption that we'll cover a little bit later, but there's that idea. Now, one of the ways that you can prevent errors from developing in your Bible study and then holding those things uh, dearly um, is, like I said, which is to believe in the unity of Scripture. So, uh, in other Latin words, sola is one, which is alone, and tota is another one, which means the total Scripture or all of Scripture. And so... When we, when we look at scripture, we look at the entire uh, canon, the entire six to six books uh, of the Bible. The problem is um, that, now this goes back into history again, various groups and individuals in history have held various uh, beliefs regarding what is the biblical, the biblical canon and what isn't. And so uh, Bibles differ in length and the number of books um, depending upon the Christian tradition. So, for example, a Catholic Bible will not only have the 66 books, it will also have a section called the Apocrypha, which is the intertestament books, which is the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So they'll have that as well. And so, yeah, so I guess we could, we could talk a little bit about how we determine uh, what is the biblical canon and what is uh, uh, the bible that, that that we hold today i don't know if you want to say anything but uh, i guess i could i could start off that that discussion but I'll, intrinsically I'll, I'll yeah. so so intrinsically what what we look at in scripture is we understand from history that that adam was the first human being adam received from god the the idea of the realities regarding earth and the creation of it and um, the problem of sin and and all these different things. Then he and his wife ended up sinning and then they experienced the need of a savior and they developed the idea or they understood the idea from God regarding salvation and God's solution to sin, which was the Lamb that would take away the sins of the world. And for the next thousand years or almost 930 years that he was alive, he continued to transmit that message on to his children and, and great-grandchildren and so on and so forth. <clears throat> then after he passed off the scene, others took up the same message and continued. So this was an oral tradition where they explained uh, the, the reality of the world and the reality of God uh, to through, through those that lived there. Now, in those days, the Garden of Eden was still on earth. You could see it. You could see the angels. You could see them guarding the, the way to the tree of life. So there was no doubt in people's mind that God existed and that angels existed and that paradise was there and it was lost and all these different things. There was just no doubt. People could have chosen to, to disbelieve it, but go, you know, all you had to do was take a pilgrimage there and you could just see it for yourself. Now, after the, the flood, as, as the Bible talks, now we're talking about biblical history and we're taking the Bible as the Bible is saying it, as it's presenting it. The, the biblical flood happened. It was global in nature. Uh, it destroyed all of uh, all living beings, and the ark uh, contained uh, a fragment of humanity that went on to repopulate the world, and of course animals and insects and whatever so within that within that scope of understanding, later on, many centuries later, after the flood, almost a thousand i think fourteen hundred years later um, Moses began to write scripture. So he wrote Genesis and he wrote Job, and then he wrote the other uh, four uh, first books of the Bible, the first five. Um, and in those books, he, con- uh, he communicated again what, was, what had been passed down through the, uh, through, through the, the oral tradition. He, he codified it in Genesis, in the first few chapters of Genesis, and then later on the, the history of the Israelites and God's dealing with them. So what we have is this, this body of scripture. And then after that, God sent prophets and he, sent, he inspired writers. And those writers then confirmed and relied on previous scriptural documents. And in doing so, they confirmed uh, Moses' authenticity regarding his call from God. Of course, God himself did it. In those days, people could audibly hear God speak, and then they requested that, that he speak to the prophets because it was just too much for them. And so the system of prophets was, was created. So an extended history here, but essentially each Bible writer has gone back and confirmed the various, various contemporary writers or past former writers, um, their inspiration. So for the books that those, those things are mentioned in other books, Um, regarding as being authoritative for uh, the knowledge of salvation, we consider those books to be canonical in nature, meaning that they they belong as scripture, as a body of scripture. Then we look at the the example of the the apostles and Christ and their use of scripture. And when we look at, uh, or if we we look at the Old Testament writers, um, we can look at their use of previous scripture. So in in all these instances, we have various confirmations regarding internal confirmations of Scripture itself, not some outside entity saying we decide that these sixty six books are the ones that are going to be the Bible, but rather uh, we see a confirmation through the Holy Spirit of the inspiration of the writers themselves, and as a result we we accept the Bible to be authoritative as. As uh, as a whole, so <laughs> so that's anyway that's that. Now, um, so let's just come across. Let's uh, let's discuss uh, some uh, some things that can develop from Bible study. Some problems that can develop from Bible study when we put our own constructions on them. So there's a question here: How do we? Uh, how should we do when we come across texts or ideas that appear? contradictory to each other in the Bible, how do we work to resolve them? So let's discuss the idea of inerrancy and infallibility.
1: Yeah, Um, so I think this is probably a little bit more advanced, I guess, Uh, maybe um, we could come back to it more detail down the line, but um, you could say that among Christians, you could divide Christianity into two groups. Those who, believe in sola scriptura and those who believe in scripture plus other things so there's like you mentioned other other sources of authority that they put more or less on on par with scripture Um, those who do take scripture as the, the the primary source of authority have different ways that they relate to scripture they have different understanding of how scripture works how it was intended to work and um, those christians who are more on the fundamentalist side of things uh, tend to have a more inerrant approach to scripture or perspective on scripture um, so um, you know one one way to compare it is, is that they look at scripture very similarly to to the way that muslims look to look at the quran uh, which is that Everything is precisely the way God intended it to be, because God took possession of the mind of the authors and made sure that they did everything perfectly. Um, and then, of course, it gets even more complex when you look at the underlying reasons for it, because um, you know there are certain beliefs about God and God's nature and how God, because of His nature, is forced to communicate with people. That they, they, f- a lot of times theologians don't actually think it's possible for inspiration to happen any other way except by God taking full possession of the mind of the author and just having them write things exactly the way they Dictating,
0: verbal, verbal dictation. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So now basically for, God says, "the," and then they write, duh. Yeah, exactly.
1: exactly. Yeah. Or In they, Greek they, or Hebrew. They might not be aware of it, but yeah, they're under the control of God to make sure that everything happens the way he wants it. Yes. Yeah. And uh, for, for us as Adventists, we actually don't take that approach. We, we, we view inspiration uh, in a way where God actually respects the individuality and the personality of the author and, and addresses them as, as a person-to-person or, or works with them the way a person will with another person. So just like we are here talking, and I could, I could say something to you that maybe you have never heard before, And if you understand what I'm saying, then you could take that and and pass that information on to somebody else. And you might not say it exactly as I did, and you might not have the full understanding of that subject that I do, but whatever you get out of what I explained, you could convey that information on. And that's that's how we understand the nature of inspiration where God actually communicated with people um, on a kind of cognitive level. Now, by taking that approach, we introduce the the possibility of error because, as human beings, we make mistakes. If God controls everything, there isn't room for mistake. But if if we allow for the fact that God communicates with people and allows them to 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 hear and think about the what they're listening to and and communicate that in, in their own way, there's that possibility of error and other people that that take the same approach we do have the tendency to then say well because there's a possibility of error in scripture then we cannot trust it fully so we need to rely on other uh, sources of authority as well but as evidence we say no no we need to keep scripture as the highest authority so we kind of take this this middle ground between the people that are inherent on one side and the people that have multiple authority sources on the other side yeah and and again like uh, when
0: when we look at scripture we understand that human writers wrote it and that they do make mistakes but those mistakes that they make um are not uh disqualifiers when it comes to like salvation for example there is no human writer that's writing that god does not exist in scripture so you know something that's so contradictory that that it just you know boggles the mind so to speak yeah um but there there can be like tiny errors for example um, they can be, uh, and now I can't think of them, but there, are they're definitely like, um, certain things that are, that are written that, um, like for example, I think in Luke, um, Luke did a lot of research and he compiled his, uh, his, his, uh, his gospel as, as, uh, when, when he wrote it down. However, uh, because he was not a native of Palestine, some of the distances that he mentions that Jesus covered are not possible within a day because Jesus walked and it's just not possible to cover that length of a distance um, when you, when you look at the research per se. So it's like, is that like critical to the, to the knowledge of scripture, to the knowledge of Christ or something that, uh, you know, he supposedly crossed 60 miles in one day or whatever, you know, whatever the, the, the error is there. True. no. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not critical
1: to to the belief. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not critical to Adventist theology. Other other denominations make it critical. In other words, they say that the nature of Scripture is, is such that if there's any problem anywhere, the whole thing collapses. Yeah, and yeah. they refuse to acknowledge any potential rule for error in any kind of way. Um, yeah. And because of that, it creates a, a very strained situation where. They essentially have to kind of ignore uh, anything that comes up because they say, no, wait, this cannot be an error, so I have to pretend it's not there and and so on. But the the way we deal with this, the way we resolve this question of how can you have error or the possibility of error on one side and yet still keep the Bible as the primary source of authority on the other side, the way we resolve it is by taking the scripture canonically, as, as a whole. Because when you go from the beginning to the end and follow the, the, the thread of logic all the way through, any discrepancies that might exist along the way can be corrected by the, the testimony of everyone else. So in, mm-hmm. in, you know, in the multitude of counsel, there is wisdom, so to speak. When you, when you look at the whole... Any you know if there if anything did come in that maybe wasn't intended to be there exactly the way it was written, by by taking it as a whole, um, it, it corrects itself. So yeah. that's that, that's so,
0: our solution to this. Yeah.
1: So the the the
0: principal idea is that on one hand there's there's verbal inerrancy, um, which basically means that that God cannot make a mistake, and uh, the Bible cannot make a mistake, and, uh, and as a result, it, it has all sorts of problems. And then there's infallibility, which is what we hold, which means that taken all together, the Bible is, is true in what it is saying, and it does not make a mistake in, in regards to its overall message. Yeah. Um, now, in terms of, uh, I wanted to say something about uh, inerrancy as well. Yeah. God himself does not make mistakes. Yeah. As a as a as a being, he does not make mistakes ever. So, but he's working with human beings who are, who are who are sinful human beings, um, who are imperfect human beings, who are trying to work with him in creating in in communicating his message. They can make mistakes, and if they do make mistakes that are critical to his message, he does correct, and he and it is recorded in Scripture that he has correct. In accounting, for example. Uh, there's, um, there's this principle where when you're in the old days, when you had journals, when you, when you wrote down uh, the figures, if you, if you made a mistake, you had to cross out the, the mistake with a single line and then write the correct number right next to it so that someone could see that you had made a mistake and see the mistake you made and evaluate the correction that you made. So if you whited it out, they could not see what you had made, uh, what the mistake you had made and then they would, there would be some question as to the, the, the correction that you made. So they would just draw the single line. In the same way, when I look at scripture, I see these places where, uh, for example, Nathan, the prophet Nathan went and told David, go ahead and build the temple because you want to. And then God said, no, that's not what I meant. Go tell him he can't, but his son will. And so there's, a, you know, there's a, an error, not in God's transmission, but in the reception. And and not only the reception, but then the trans- the retransmission from there. And God God can correct those things. Now, let's uh, let's go on here regarding the clarity of scripture. Um, and I think you covered this. Uh, uh, there's the question at the end where it says, think about a time when you didn't understand some text only to have them clarified later. Uh, what can you learn from this experience? So what I would say here is that just speaking uh, as, you know, Someone with with experience, the best thing to understand Scripture is to read it from start to finish. Take the time if you've never read it from start to finish, try it, because as you as you read all the way through, you will learn. You can use any kind of Bible plan. Uh, the one that I use is the first chapter of Genesis, the first chapter of Job, the first chapter of Matthew, and the first chapter of Acts. In doing that, you cover the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice in the same year. You could do Three chapters a day and five chapters on Sabbath. That's another way of covering uh, scripture as well. And you just cover it once all the way through. So in in doing this, what, what what you end up doing is you get the whole picture of scripture. And you can see the clarity uh, regarding the ideas that are being presented. And it's it's harder to make mistakes when you know the entirety of scripture. And so I've heard sermons where people have you know, inexperienced pastors or inexperienced uh, lay members that are preaching. And it's sometimes hilarious. They'll just choose one particular passage and they'll preach their hearts out out of that one passage only to be contradicted by the next page with, uh, with new information. And it's like, they just never turned the page. So those things are rare with, with trained pastors, but with members it does happen from time to time. And, uh, so basically what 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 we're saying here is that the that the bible is clear enough to be understood by by children and by adults however um the the clarity of scripture is enhanced by by seeing the the totality of it yeah. any other comments on this part if not Hello, let's go on, go on, on. okay <laughs> so wednesday's uh section is scripture interpret scripture now um in this one, they give an Ellen White quote where they say that the Bible, where she says that the Bible is its own expositor. Scripture is to be compared with Scripture. The student should learn to view the Word as a whole and to see the relation of its parts. This is so important. Uh, he should gain a knowledge of its grand central theme. And then she mentions it. God's original purpose for the world, the rise of the great controversy, and the work of redemption. So these are the things that, uh, that, she, uh, that she mentions here and of course uh the scripture uh, the the lesson itself brings out that um the importance and the beauty of letting scripture uh interpret scripture is that it sheds further light on its own meaning and it's possible to read this now i have a story here that i'll share many many years ago um i went on a on a sabbath afternoon to a with a friend to a park where he was serving Uh, homeless people food, it was his ministry. So every Sabbath he would cook some food and share it with the homeless in the park. And so um, he had been asking me for several weeks and I decided to go. And we went there and we, we were interacting with these homeless people and one of them came up to us and he, he had no clue who we were. And we we really weren't uh, representing the church in this. This was just a personal project of a friend of mine. And uh, this guy came up, and this homeless guy came up, and he was like, Hey, have you guys read the Bible? And we are like, Yeah, we've read the Bible. And he's like, uh, Do you know that this, the seventh day is the Sabbath? And uh, that's what the Bible teaches. And so I, I think what he surmised was that we were Christians from our charity and from our conversation. And he thought, just like all Christians, we happen to be Sunday keepers. And so he, he shared this idea that he had read the Bible. And uh, he, he had come to the conclusion that the seventh day is the Sabbath. And we were taken aback. And uh, so we are like, hey, we believe that, this, that the Bible says the seventh day is a Sabbath. And he says, oh, really? And uh, so he continued to talk with us. And he had independently confirmed quite a few of our doctrines in, uh, it, through his, uh, his own personal study of, of Scripture. The, the, the sad part was that, that uh, he remained atheist. In his view, so he didn't believe that God existed. This is just one book out there that claimed to be written by by God himself or people who claimed to have contact with God, and he just read it out of personal interest. But somehow, in reading it all the way through, without any presuppositions, without any preconceived ideas, he came to the conclusions regarding Scripture's own teachings. And all he could say is, "I I can tell that the Bible is saying that." The seventh day is a Sabbath and I can tell and so on and so forth of all these other other beliefs so it was kind of interesting to see this this uh this experience where somebody actually let scripture interpret scripture and did nothing but read it for several years because let's face it he's homeless and he's got nothing else to do and uh it came up with the with I with I which I believe to be the correct uh interpretation of scripture
1: yeah I have uh... I used to listen to this uh, atheist show with like four guys that were pretty, pretty advanced, uh, some were philosophers, scientists, uh, uh, debaters, whatever. And they had this show almost every week where they would go through different topics in theology and and bash them, you know, and kind of break them apart. Um, And they they did something very similar. They came on one time and they say, hey, we were going to talk about hell this week, eternal hell. And then we thought, like, let's actually read the Bible. And it's like, it's not even in there. You know, all these Christians yeah. believe in eternal hell, but it's not even in there. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. It's, it's yeah. kind of funny to hear that from atheists that are, are reading the Bible just to, to bash the Christians. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So
0: that's the, that's, the, that's the beauty of it. When you, when you let scripture interpret itself, you find out what it's actually saying itself. And it's actually a really good way to read other books as well. Essentially, entering into the mind of the of the author and allowing the author to like determine, like uh, explain his his worldview or her worldview and, and what's going on in the book and and that sort of that sort of stuff. So anyway, in in this point, in 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 scripture itself, uh, letting scripture interpret scripture is the foundation upon which our church is built. It is how we've derived our beliefs historically. And so um, when Ellen White talks about this and she says that uh, the, the students should learn to view the word as a whole, the idea here is that the entire Bible, even though it's 66 books and multiple multiple writers, it is, it is confirming um, a central theme, a central grand idea. And then within that are individual parts uh that that relate to the 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 believer's experience that are that are relevant to the to their experience so for example i was reading yesterday or not yesterday but yeah yesterday um i i on my on my daily walk i decided to to listen to the book of proverbs as i was as i was walking and so i was listening through the book of proverbs and and what it was sharing was that there's something called wisdom. The, the writer was explaining uh, the, the good ideas and bad ideas in the context of two women. And one was named Wisdom, the other one was uh, whatever, a different woman. And within the context of, of that, he was just describing the, the values and the virtues of the offerings that Wisdom was trying to share with, uh, with simple, uh, simple human beings. And all these things were the truths were timeless. The truths were uh, that that she was sharing uh, applied to the life and would make the person secure. Would make the person uh, not fall into uh, problems of circumstance or uh, or or problems with morality or whatever um, that stem from morality. Just various things like that. And so there's this uh, there's this idea that that scripture itself has a has a grand central theme as a whole and and then within its parts there's uh different emphases that are uh important for for our salvation and when we see those uh those parts and we see the relation to the whole then we are able to understand um how the bible uh thematically fits uh, across scripture and uh, i think for me that has been the most rewarding uh part of my bible study Uh, in the last few years, just seeing uh, the entire Bible. Uh, I've known the the message of the entire Bible for a long time, but seeing the individual parts and how they fit together for this worldview. See, the thing is, the Bible is not only communicating a worldview, uh, God's worldview to man, but it's also trying to help us develop a worldview towards God. It's trying to develop uh, a way in which we relate to other people, a, a way in which we live our life. It's a way of life. And so, uh, the biblical uh, way of living is what is communicated through various books. And so, it's uh, something that's rewarding. Anything else uh, in this section?
1: Uh, no, I think that's good. Um, this is probably a good stopping point. Um, so, we don't let this continue too long. Okay. Um, but, all right. I don't know if, if you have any closing thoughts.
0: Yeah. So, I'll close with uh, a story from a Bible study um, that illustrates. Uh, some other some other things, so a few years ago, I went to a Bible study and I was sitting there, and uh, there was various people that were sharing and one one lady in particular was sharing about the sanctuary and she was talking about how as you know the the sanctuary has different compo- uh, different areas, and you start out with the with the court and then you head towards the the holy place and the most holy place. And she made the observation that the sanctuary is uh, really a microcosm of uh, biblical nutrition and the biblical experience. And so you start out eating meat, and then you head towards the holy place, and you end up eating bread and water and oil. And then you drop all of that, and you drop even oil, and you end up in the most holy place, and you're, you're eating just fruits and, uh, and nuts, which is the Edenic diet. And so everyone in the room was just blown away and was just amazed at this wonderful connection that they had, that they had developed from, from, from their understanding of, of Scripture. Except that is not what Scripture teaches. It's a nice, it's a nice truth, and it's something that, that we believe, uh, as Adventists, we believe that, that we should move away from eating meat and we should, we should work our way to, towards uh, a more healthier diet and uh, something closer to the to the ideals of of uh, what was shared what was given in the garden of eden as as a diet for man however it is it is important to realize that that is not what scripture is saying and so sometimes when we when we put our constructions on on scripture we come up with things we come up with applications for, uh, from our study that sound really really good but Upon close examination, we are forced to realize that, that Scripture isn't really saying that. And that's important for, for various reasons. This is one of the more harmless ones. Uh, probably it's a good thing if we, if we ended in that, if we trended in that direction. But it is, a, it is important to realize that the, that the role of Scripture interpreting itself uh, helps to correct some of these problems. And so the way I kind of demonstrated that was I just mentioned uh, didn't Jesus eat meat after he was resurrected? So obviously he had a glorified body, but then he ate meat. So this would contradict the lady's statement. And she saw the internal contradiction there and she was upset. And then somebody else chimed in, which was like, uh, yeah. And then he, then he cooked meat. He cooked fish and gave it to his disciples. So now the whole thing was just going down in flames, you know? And uh, the thing is, uh, we don't have to get into that situation. If we, if we read scripture from start to finish, we understand that there was Eden and God is restoring us to Eden. And um, that is what scripture is trying to teach us. And, uh, and once, we, once we see the, the totality of it, uh, the, the other stuff starts to make sense. And yes, a good diet and a healthy lifestyle, all those things do make a difference in our comprehension of scripture as well. But um, the essential part is letting scripture interpret itself and explain its meaning. And when we do that, we remain safe within the bounds that scripture itself has uh, provided uh, to the inspiration of the holy spirit
1: we're definitely not advocating a fruitarian diet just <laughs> no, yeah, no, I no, need no. To clarify that because yeah yeah please you know somebody might listen to this and think oh the progression yeah. goes all the way to that and uh, maybe that's the way yeah. it goes. Like, maybe oh. that's
0: the takeaway of this lesson <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
1: <but laughs> this definitely not something we're endorsing here yeah yeah anyway yeah, yeah i endorse, think uh, uh i think a vegetarian
0: there's
1: a, diet yeah I, th- I think there's a and it's not everywhere i sh- i don't want to make it sound like a lot of people do this but there's certain segments even within our church that take pride in being able to come up with all kinds of nice uh yeah well, what's the expression what's the word for this it's um to derive uh, he, hidden meanings from from passages yeah. that have nothing to do with what they're talking it's, about. And it's it's
0: one-upmanship at the end. At the yeah, end the exactly.
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, they they'll say like, "Oh, I read this passage. What does what what is this about to you?" And then they'll give this very interesting uh, thing that they came up with that is nowhere in the text. Really, they're just making it up. And everybody's like, "Wow, that's so profound." You know, I I can't believe you you yeah. throw that in there. Like, that, that's that's not what the scripture is for. Yeah. we're not called to that that's not our responsibility because there's so much that actually is in scripture that we can benefit from we don't need to make up our own stuff and superimpose it on scripture so exactly anyway exactly all right uh all right so uh, we'll, we'll, uh we'll close it. with this right. and uh we'll see what uh, happens next i guess